Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. This is Radical Research episode 38, and that was a segment from Maudlin of the Wells' He Who Breathes the Soil, a demo recording from 1997. This relates contextually to this episode's featured band, KODOT. This episode of Radical Research, we are going to listen to a little bit from each of the eight songs on KODOT's forthcoming album, or depending on when you're listening, new album, uh, or depending on if you're listening in 2021, the (laughs) 2019 album, Blasphemy. At the time of this recording, the album isn't out yet, obviously. It's due out September 6th. It will be released through the band's new label home, Prophecy. And we want to thank the people at Prophecy for letting us do this, especially the mighty Andreas Schiffman, who happens to be, a, amongst many other things, a Canvas Solaris admirer. So you, you got a fan there. Over and, a, in and a great, great writer. Um, I, I, I admired his writing back when he was writing for uh, Jim Raggi's uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Yeah, Andreas is an all-around uh, uh, very, very committed guy in terms of um, you know his relationship to music, and uh, he reached out to us a few months ago just as a fan of the show, which was uh, pretty flattering for us. And he happens to work at Prophecy, and um, you know the Ko Dot album landed in my email as a promo uh, a while back, and I was blown away by it, and that's why we're doing this. Also, wanted to shout out to Toby Driver himself, the main engine in Ko Dot who uh, was gracious enough, along with Andreas, to let us play snippets from each song before the album is released. He was cool with the idea, and we'll talk a little bit uh, later about the blog interview that will be featured by the time this episode hits. But yeah, we thought it'd be fun to do this episode uh, this way. It's it's a new kind of off-the-cuff uh, way to do something for us, um, basically a review of an album that's new to us. Uh, and certainly one that I think will be a highlight when we look back on 2019. Absolutely. Blasphemy, I mean, not only does it, it hold a special place already for me, like within the, you know, the K, KO dot discography, but I mean, it stacks up against anything I've heard this year. Oh, easily. Yeah. This, this is, this is a, an over moment, maybe. Uh, where, yeah. Where fascination sure. of Julius Caesar, you for know, sure. a, sort of a long lived band that has created a masterpiece very, very late into its career. Well said. We've both followed K.O. Dot since they were known, well, since before they were known as K.O. Dot. The first incarnation of this band was Maudlin of the Well. They were making noise as this remarkably different avant-garde metal band from Boston who released three albums during their existence, and then a fourth was recorded later as a kind of coda to their legacy. Here we have K.O. Dot's ninth album. We should hope most listeners are at least a little bit familiar with KO Dot and their history. We're not going to go into that in great depth because we want to focus on the album itself. Uh, but they've worn a lot of musical guises since the early 2000s. 
Oh, I mean, and, and in fact, not to be sentimental about anything, but the model and the well plays into our nativity story in that fateful Atlanta evening that uh, our listeners um, have heard about on several occasions. That's when I bought the Bath and Leaving Your Body Map double CD, which is sort of a, I, 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 I take it as one album, basically. Yeah. And it's kind of a, 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 a little anecdote before we get into the meat of all this. So Nate and I, bring these records home and we're like already on the ride home completely obsessed and our bassist bassist at the time jimmy mccall hears them and just goes like completely batshit like it's like the greatest thing he's ever heard this is 2001 you know the internet is not what it is now especially like in backwater georgia jimmy somehow finds toby driver's phone number in a Massachusetts phone book and calls him. him. I'm not kidding you. Just to tell him how much he loves his band. Oh, wow. And I mean, you met Jimmy. Jimmy's quite off. Right. This is not out of character. But like, in any way, like, there was this weird little like Statesboro cult of of Maudlin of the Well admirers. Because I mean, they're the kind of band that like, that inspires you know, you know, response from one end of the spectrum to the other. Like no, nobody kind of likes Model on the Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's and true. That they, they continue that. Like those two records are like two of my favorite things from that decade. Love them to death. Love, I mean, just and love a lot of the Ko Dot stuff. Some of the Ko Dot stuff is sort of like a screaming machine. It's like it can't be truly loved, um, <laughs> but it's completely fascinating nonetheless. Yeah, we followed that history every every step of the way. Uh, certainly, we, I think we both hold the early albums in high regard. And then you get into that area of Blue Lambency Downward right. and Gamma Knife and Coyote that are real tough listens, real challenges. But, you know, we like to take that on. And then there was this kind of turn. There was, of course, Hubardo, this, I don't want to say return to metal. I think there's always been a thread there, uh, a hint that they were they were a metal band in the beginning. But it's uh, the most obviously sort of menacing, significantly metal thing that Toby had done in a very long time, probably since choirs, but maybe even Maudlin. Yes, I, I agree with that. It's very long, uh, and it is it is very very dark. Um, it's a great listen. Uh, and then after that, I, I don't want to put too fine a point or simplify it too much, but I would say synthesizers took over. These these warm analog synths became a massive part of their sound, uh, and so did a little bit of streamlining that came into coffins on IO and Plastic House on Base of Sky. And we're going to play a little bit from Plastic House. We opened the episode, as I mentioned, and as you heard, uh, with uh, some 1997 demo material from Maudlin of the Well. That was partly to establish context. Uh, we'll do that here again, this time with a minute from a song called Magnetism from 2016's Plastic House on Base of Sky.
So let's get into Blasphemy, Hunter. Let's get into oh. it. Yeah, let's get into it. This is the first track from Blasphemy, Ocean Cumulonimbus. There you go. Uh, this is a, a bit from the opening track from Blasphemy by K.O. Dot. Um, K.O. Dot's appeal for me has largely been, not entirely, but largely been the surprise factor, like that disorientation, the unpredictability, the interruption that you get quite often in, in a lot of their older music. Right. And I think there's still a little bit of that here, maybe a kernel, but it's a lot more subtle than ever. And I think I think even in this latest, most kind of relatively streamlined era that began with Coffins on I.O., there was a little bit of that. And also on Plastic House, which had a lot of, to me, like nervousness and anxiety. Here, it's a bit subdued. And I mean that in a really good way. It's rounded off. And I think it really represents them kind of reaching kind of another entire plateau. I think this is probably, on balance, the most listenable. Take that for whatever you want, but I guess in sort of received terms the most listenable ko dot record and you know they began with choirs of the eye um which to me was this sort of like kind of a logical expansion of the model and the well ethos but like taken to to extremes in terms of its approach to orchestration its its ambition it, it was it certainly it was a more esoteric uh, Toby Driver than we'd been used to seeing in or, or hearing rather, not to to delve into pathetic fallacy. Forgive me, John Rutkin. <laughs> May you come over in your grave, sir. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I remember you and I both sort of grappling with choirs when it came out. Um, it, it seemed oh, yeah. it seemed almost too ethereal to us. You know, it was like we were we were looking for something tangible. We were looking something um, familiar. 
and, and then uh, with dousing, it, it basically like dousing anemone. It was almost like these huge, like kind of Scott Walkerish blocks of sound, and then this absent space in between. Um, and yeah. things get like progressively more difficult. And, and, and coffins um, was a real shock to my system. Um, I remember hearing the mortality of doves and just being shocked by its, its relative accessibility. It, it was yeah. almost inviting, you know, and it's like KO dot has never really been an inviting prospect. Um, there's always been something really forbidding about it. And, and you, you really hit the nail on the head with your comments on um, plastic house. Like you said, it's, it's sort of formed on this bedrock of really warm analog synthesizers, but it's all these super asymmetrical, irregular rhythms. Oh, it's um, jagged. Yeah, it's very jagged. It's very jagged. And, and there is a sort of like melodicism that suspends itself on top of, of everything else, but it's, it's a very precarious sort of uh, foundation. And, and this album, it has all of the ambition of the previous KO Dot records, but relatively none of the difficulty. It, it, it's almost like for the first time, KO Dot sort of opening its arms to listeners. There, there is a nice flow here, and I, 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 I very intentionally use the word "nice." Very boring word. Sure, I understand what you say, though. Yeah, but I mean, no, it, it's a pleasing record. Yeah, it, it is, and I just the, the flow of it, the momentum of it. Like I said, it's subdued in a lot of ways, but the momentum uh, is is strong. It's not it's not like a lazy subdued. Oh it's, no 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 no! It, it's yeah. um, it's a guy operating sort of at the peak of his craft. I think. I, I think so. Uh, there's something interesting about the second song, uh, which I'll just mention before we listen to a bit of it. Vocally, the very beginning of it. It reminds me very much of the singer from Minus the Bear. I don't know if you've heard this yet and you're listening. But it's not, I'm not like saying that I'm detecting some kind of influence there. I, I'm going to say. He's Toby probably not Bear. into Minus the Bear. Probably not into that. But I, there's just this, that that kind of like smoothness, right. that coolness to the voice. Um, and then from there, uh, the vocal and the music offers what I kind of hear as a missing link between Beyond Dawn's Longing for Scarlet Days and Pity Love. I know this is not a Beyond Dawn album, but I'm just talking about the atmosphere that we get. Um, and then it goes into its its thing. And I think this is a real highlight of the album. We'll listen to it and contemplate it when we get back. Yeah. 
the real highlights from Blasphemy in my you know short experience with the record. Um, I, I had not heard the the Jake echoes that you mentioned, but now I will never not hear them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even sure we're going to play that snippet for people, but um, okay. it, it's there and um, it's it's in the beginning. Well, and- regardless of what we play, it just bears saying, um, because I, I'm sure the number of our listeners do like KO Dot and will buy the record, that that one song displays a stunning range of vocal styles. We heard Jake from Minus the Bear. We hear echoes of Mike Patton. We hear, I guess, what we loosely called hydra head vocals <laughs> um yeah. you know uh, uh attributed to the bands like isis and um caleb's vocal work in uh cave in neurosis that sort of thing um yeah. but yeah i mean it's just like this really really and, and i think you know i said this in my interview to him like that this was his most evolved vocal performance and i, I stand by that yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't think that we've ever heard over the course of a record, um, Toby display a wider range of vocal influences and vocal approaches. But the thing is, we hear these echoes, but it, it, it's all him. You know, he's he's sort of you know brought these things into himself and synthesized them and spit them back out as Toby Driver. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It really, it's a, I mean, it's a it really impressive and pretty stunning performance. And musically, there's some great drumming there. Um, there's, a, I think, there's a couple drummers on the album. From the intel I got from Prophecy, that's that's what I get. So I'm not sure who played one on that song, but um, um, really great drumming. I really love the sort of martial, yeah. uh, kind, of, kind of regimented quality to the drumming that really starts happening uh, toward the end of the song. Works great for the build that's happening already. And it, I mean, uh, it would it, it takes a great drummer to reckon with Ko Dot's material. That was always the case. I mean, whether it was the sort of dynamics required of a, a player for the early stuff, but like these last three records have been very, very intensely mathematical, particularly Plastic House. But I mean, I, I think you'll hear a, a you know a, a priority toward mathematics on this album as well. But everything on this album is more subtle than it has been. Maybe it's just more refined, right? Yeah, definitely. Because I guess um, I haven't really thought of it as mathematical the way I do the last two, especially Plastic House, as you say. Um, Even some of that earlier stuff had a bit of a more of a mathematical approach. This one, like I said, it's just it's just kind of got the smoothness to the momentum. It seems fully integrated. It doesn't break. You know, it doesn't it doesn't do anything all that abrupt there are surprises uh there are and there are some moments that are just these huge climaxes where you're you can't wait to listen again you can't wait to get to know it some more so there's things happening that are dramatic and interesting uh and jarring but not in that usual ko dot way where we're um put into the deep end and then put into the abyss even further (laughs) right this doesn't happen there's like this kind of like contained element to this whole album Something else about this album I really like is that it's not too long. I think they've had a tendency either in song or in the albums themselves to go on just a little bit too long, to have things that you know maybe could have been snipped, things that kind of would wear out their welcome. Uh, I don't think any of that happens on Blasphemy. I, think, I don't think there's a, a, a note that I think is too much. You know, it's, it's all really well considered and a really tight package. Yeah, totally. You know, and it's interesting to talk about Plastic House because that's the album they're coming from. That was that was the previous one. That thing, of course, was just drenched in synths. 
And it's almost entirely synths. This one is more rock instrument based, uh, you know, guitar, bass, drums. Clearly there are keyboards in it. Clearly there are synths. It doesn't feel novel. I'm not saying Plastic House had a novelty to it, but it certainly was like glaringly synthy, right? Um, oh, yeah, for sure. So I like the way that they're integrated on this one too. Let's move on to the third song, Lost Souls on Lonesome's Way. beautiful song yeah we just discussed his vocals previous uh, on the previous song and uh we're going to discuss them again because they're just so rich and soulful there and i think you know the song has that smooth linear flow it's warped a little bit by the drum patterns which are pretty interesting underneath that but yeah man i, I think toby does some great work throughout this song as well yeah and i hear a bit of his one of his other um projects valra in that like sort of the gothy post-punk leanings that that band has. Um, I hear yeah. them sort of bleeding into that song. I hear that now that you mention it. Yeah, good one. So far, three songs. You know, and this is a game I like to play with, I think, almost every KO.album. And that is, can I trace anything back to Maudlin of the Well? Because we hold them in such high regard. It's, it's of course, the seed that began this whole thing. And... You know, there are certain albums of K.O. Dots that you hear no Maudlin of the Well. I mean, things like Blue Lamb and Sea oh, Down yeah. or Coffins on Io. I can hardly detect it. Uh, Hubardo, it's there. Uh, what about this one? Do you, do you hear anything? Because I do, although I don't think I could, like, make any distinct comparisons or any um, direct ones. I, I think there is a link between the two. I mean, um, like you said, he sort of avoided direct, emotional, melodic ideas for a number of years. But to me, I hear a bit of the second song on Leaving Your Body Map, Gleaming Ranks, on the track that we just heard. Okay. Which is a, 
despite sort of the difficulty of that material, uh, a very sort of open-hearted and, and beautiful vocal performance. Yeah, I, I, it's it's fun. I like playing this game, this maudlin relatable game. Like, uh, do, do I hear anything? Never my first uh, priority, I guess, when getting into a KO dot record. But it, it's fun to see if we can spot that. Let's move on to Vanishing Act in Blinding Gray, the fourth song and the longest from Blasphemy at uh, 8 minutes, 10 seconds. We're going to play just a little bit of it. So in selecting the snippets that we're going to play for listeners off of this album, we got to be very careful, um, not because it's not out yet. And I'm sure most people listen to this episode before the album comes out. It's just that we don't want to give away all the highlights and all the peaks and the climactic moments. Uh, but screw it. I think on that song, we are going to uh, make you listen to what we feel is maybe the most exciting two minutes of that eight minute song. Um, that that really has a lot of great peaks and valleys and an incredible build, uh, incredible tension and release. It, it's a KO dot epic, you know, for the, the new KO dot age. Um, <laughs> and I, there's a ton of stuff in there to listen to. And for any train spotters, you'll have a really good time with that one. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's all we want to say about that song. That's yeah, I'm just, not going to uh, say anything else. Yeah. It comes in the middle of the album. It's it's the long one. It, it's um, it, it's gorgeous. But, it's just, uh, uh, leave us your feedback. Let, it, let us know what you hear in that song. Uh, it would be interesting to uh, compare notes. So the next one has an interesting title called Turbine, Hook, and Hall. And we should mention here that Jason Byron is back uh, providing lyrics for KO Dot. He's been in and out of the KO Dot story uh, since the beginning, he, of course, was there with Maudlin of the Well. His main role has been as lyricist. 
he's an incredible writer. And I understand that Blasphemy is a larger long form novel that Jason is writing and the lyrics and the themes on the album are taken from that. Kudos and hats off to, to Jason. Um, and apparently, apparently he's done quite a bit of study in the occult and has work related to that. Also, just a absolute top-tier death metal vocalist. And if you don't know his work in Maldon Lowell, I would recommend that you investigate that. And we, we've often talked about this but between you and I, Hunter, but um, very much in the vein of early Aaron from My Dying Bride, Aaron Stainthorpe. Um, that's top praise in, in our, in oh, our neck of the woods, yeah. It's high praise. That's that's some of the greatest death metal vocalizing of all time. Yeah. Yeah, let's listen to a little bit of uh, Turbine, Hook, and Hall. with music on the scale of the first two KO dot records I'll, I'll say that I at least have a tendency to reach for references that are outside of music whether um, because of my low self-esteem or my, <laughs> my, my inability to find any other sort of reference point within music but I think in in turbine in, in the song that we just heard you find an artist that has been able to compress the cinematic scope of of those early works those you know those grand works into something that that resembles conventional pop songcraft um i i, I think it, it carries the same sort of gravitas the same sort of weight um and scale that those early pieces had but it, it does so in a in a much more approachable way 
Yeah, I, I've felt that at times about this record, that it condenses things that we knew and loved about KO Dot's early stuff in, in, in a really new, effective way. Right. So I, I get what you're saying. And, and, and you're, you're dead right. It is new. Toby is, 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 is still like evolving artist. Oh, for sure. And I, I also think that this song, if, if, if they hadn't already done this on previous songs, I really think that this, this song establishes the album's aesthetic purpose. Like just the way it sounds, the textures of it, it you know, it's a very tactile sounding album, the way that it was produced and the way that the, uh, all the instruments mesh and come across. Right. Uh, and I think this one does a really good job, uh, especially on the hi-fi, uh, if, if you're listening that way. You know, and, and the keyboards getting really kind of gothic cathedral there at certain points. It's just there, there's a kind of cavernous quality to everything. It's quite beautiful. I really like, if we haven't said it 20 times before, I really like where KO Dot's <laughs> going with this record. I, I mean, this is, this is, and kudos to everybody involved, including uh, one Tim Burns on trumpet. We'll try to play that trumpet part uh, for the snippet. And, um, you know, he's been on four other KO Dot albums since 2010, playing not only trumpet, but French horn and synth. So, uh, Great stuff there. I would say that the next song, Midnight Mystic Rise and Fall, maybe doesn't offer anything that we haven't already heard. I'm not saying it's bad. Uh, I just think it kind of keeps the vibe going. So let's listen to just a little bit of that. I think in terms of pure raw emotion, that's a highlight of the record. I think it gives you a lot of emotional content there. Oh, for sure. I also think there's something there that is a hallmark of all KO Dot, where you're getting a lot of long or unusual phrases. 
in various passages. Some some of that song, or maybe that whole song, sometimes feels like one long phrase, especially near the end. There, it's just like you you get these just kind of these long loping, lingering parts. Uh, do you hear the long phrase oh, thing for in sure. there? Yeah, it's a very yeah deliberate compositional device. Also, I don't know if it's the album cover, but they look like sea stacks in the mist, like that you might see right. in the Pacific Northwest. But um. And I haven't read the Blasphemy book, of course. Um, I, I did get a little bit of it from Prophecy. So I don't know if it's the album cover or that, but I mean, do you feel like lost at sea sometimes? Does it feel like you're just in this like old creaky ship? I mean, because sometimes I really get this seafaring like vibe from this this album. I don't know I mean, about the seafaring part, but like I was going to actually use the phrase windswept. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I definitely feel sort of suspended in some other world when I listen to K.O. Dot. Um, yeah. it, it, it is not music that makes any sort of conscious effort to engage in Congress with this world or the people of this world, really. It, it, it always feels intensely personal to me. Like the, mm. the expression of someone who is just sort of bearing his soul to the world. Absolutely. And as much as we've like made references to this band or that movement or whatever, it's it's really just a, a device of, you know, reviewing an album and, and trying to sort of like find some grounding uh, and, and some things that people might be able to relate to. But honestly, there just really is nothing like KO Dot. It's one of these great bands that creates a world uh, unlike any other. You know where you're at when you're listening to it and you, you go into it knowing you're going to get a very singular experience. Yeah. Singular is the word. Also, let's point out that the words devil doll, devil doll, she needs to die are in here. Just kind of a neat coincidence that our previous episode was on devil doll. And a good point to mention that accompanying this episode, we'll have a blog post with Toby Driver. We asked him a bunch of questions. Hunter provided most of them. I threw in a couple and he gave us some really, really great answers. And uh, he does talk a little bit about an experience he had with Double Doll. I'll just kind of leave it at that. I don't want to be a spoiler for that. Uh, But do go check that out on our website, which is at radicalresearch.org. You'll find that in the blog section. Um, Another thing that he mentioned, Hunter, in that interview that we might as well just talk about now as kind of a response is that he, in a nutshell, expressed some difficulty and I, I guess some frustration with uh, the fact that KO Dot has always been judged as either a metal band or a formerly metal band. Right. And that that's, he feels like that's kind of tethered him and uh, not allowed KO Dot to be taken seriously in a lot of other, you know, by people who want nothing to do with metal. He, he feels that that's been a bit of, a, of an albatross. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I'd say I would agree. I mean, I, I think that we have plenty of precedent to substantiate that claim. Thinking of people like Anathema, Paradise Lost, um, Devin Townsend. And, and, and in fact, Devin Townsend even said one time that metal is like porn. Once you do it, you can't go back. Um, <laughs> you, you, you've always done porn. Um, yeah. And, and, and there yeah. are scores of others. And I mean, there is still... Even to this day, like of NPR coverage, um, a stigma attached to metal. And once you're a metal band, you're always a metal band. And I think it really is an uphill battle for metal bands to find support outside of their original fan base. But the other thing is that, 
you know, a large section of the metal fan base is very conservative and very custodial. And, you know, metal, at least in my experience, is about as devotional a music as you'll find. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Like, totally. like me- me- metal is, it's a jealous God. Um, and, you know, <laughs> and it, it, it demands, it demands your, your faith. And so that sort of transfers to the fan base at times. And fans, metal fans often find themselves, you know, uh, betrayed by bands like, uh, you know, like Tiamat. Deeper Kind of Slumber, you know, was seen as a blasphemy. Um, and yeah. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> you know, in, in in the eyes of a lot of metal fans. And it's like, so yeah, it's, you know, once you've played metal, it's really sort of difficult to untether yourself from that. And, yeah. and Toby hasn't played anything that can really conventionally be called metal in, what, 19 years now? Yeah, even Hubardo is is a if it's metal, it's a very very different kind of metal that yeah. uh, that I, I don't think is part of this discussion necessarily in terms of what kind of metal we're talking about. It, you know, metal and metal fans, you know, kind of not getting into later Tiamat, later Anathema. That's one thing, and I think, of course, it's down to personal taste, and I and I get all that. Um, it's a little bit of a shame that people don't open up and, and give something a chance. I, I think the bigger shame is these people outside of metal who just wouldn't touch a band like KO dot or anathema who otherwise would probably really get into it and really be able to do some good for them. If they're somewhere in the media or, you know, somewhere out there uh, with a voice to spread the word. And, and you know, it, it holds these great bands back. And, and I, I know anathema has been frustrated by their past. I don't think they're ashamed of it, but they, they certainly want to move on and be taken as, you know, just a more of a general rock alternative band, whatever they right. whatever you want to call them. And with this album, with this KO Dot album being certainly the most accessible one, you know, I, I hope there's, there's at least a few people who poke through that darkness of thought and, um, you know, actually give it a chance. We, we shall see. We can't, we can't worry about that too much, but wanted to bring it up. I think it's an important point. And, uh, you know, we, we support Toby no matter what. We don't maybe support Blue Lambency downward a whole lot, but you know it's part it's part of the deal, right? It's part we, of the story. We support it. We just don't listen to it very often. <laughs> I have it in my racks. I just I do appreciate it. Let's check out a bit from the penultimate song from Blasphemy. This is an eye for a lie.
holy hook Trembling is love Amongst a few other things, an eye for a lie is proof for anyone that might be concerned about such things, proof that KO dot is still plenty weird. You get the vocoder or something similar to a vocoder. Um, gotta love that. I do. Um, and I mean, you know, it's like a tradition from, <laughs> from like craft work to, you know, anathema circa 2003. Cynic. Yeah, cynic. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, in the, in the middle is cynic. Um, and, yeah. you know, Africa Bambata. Ton, tons <laughs> of badass music. I, I love the sound of a vocoder personally because it, it essentially turns the human voice into, into an instrument. Yeah, and I think Toby weaves that in and out of that song in such a crafty way. Really, and, really uh, I mean, a high point. Yeah, and, and that's the thing with Toby is like – even if he deploys something that's obvious, he does it in such an artful way that it almost makes you forget what it is. There's just no denying the artistry of the guy. We hear it all over this thing. Total highlight in their discography for sure. And we're going to take a look now at the final song. It's called Blasphemy, colon, A Prophecy. Interesting that they're on Prophecy Records. I don't know if that's a nod to their new label or not, but... Uh, <laughs> Such as it is, I, I think we get some just spellbinding vocals from Toby on this. I, I hear some early Christian death vibes in this. I, yeah, I hear absolutely. Yeah. I hear maybe if the fix went darker and proggier, that's that's here. And like like I said before, there, there's something seaward about this or seafaring. It's a there's a hazy fog over some of this. So let's take a listen to a little bit of the final track, Blasphemy.
And so that was the final track of K.O.Dot's new record, Blasphemy, A Prophecy. And I think it encapsulates the mood of the record quite nicely. Um, as Jeff said, there are very obvious nods to death rock, to goth, even some of the colder sort of shoegaze stuff like um, this empty flow. I, I, I hear bits of that. I hear some of this, uh, the project influences like, um, is it Lycia or Lycia? Uh, I've always said Lycia. Okay, but, let's just uh, say Lycia. I, I don't know. And um, Black Tape for, for a Blue Girl and um, Love Spirals Downwards. Really, like, it's sort of um, engaging in a direct relationship with beautiful, like, obviously, unapologetically beautiful music. Yeah, and stuff that has this kind of undertow of either darkness or heaviness uh, or, or just sort of hand wringing contemplation. You know, it's just there's a tension to right to the beauty somewhere in there. I'm not sure if you hear that. I hear that throughout. Oh, for sure. I mean, and that's one of the things that, throughout that last song. Yeah. Know? I mean, that's one of the things that makes it so interesting is like, is that unsettled beauty? It's, it's beautiful, exactly. but there's, you know, there's something that lurks beneath the veneer. That's what we get throughout the album. And I think on that last song, there's this kind of thematic quality that ties it all together. Like it's, it couldn't have been anywhere on the album other than that last place. Right. Sure, it's very intentional. I think Toby's an intentional composer in, in that sense of just having everything absolutely where it needs to be. And uh, yeah, that's I just I think that's a stunning song. Maybe maybe my favorite off the album. Who knows? You know that stuff will change for every listener as they go through and um, live with the album for a while. And wow, you know we got to hail Toby and all the current members of Ko Dot who brought this album into the world. I mean, I just I, I love the way it rolls forward and back and then lurches forward again. It's just got this. I'm going to say it again, this oceanic quality, this constant tension and release. I mean, it's not predictable because if you think about an ocean, like no set of waves is entirely no, identical, no. you know, but there's this oceanic motion to it. And I really can't wait to be on a beach at night listening to this with my headphones. This is like a goal of mine uh, by the end of the year. Thankfully, I live close to the ocean and uh, I get there often. K.O. Um, God, do the motion of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, let's maybe see if Toby wants to put that on a shirt or not. I don't. <laughs> Thanks again, KO Dot. Thanks again, everybody involved. Thanks again, Prophecy. Uh, what a really fantastic record. A highlight of 2019, yep. no doubt. Yeah, I, I, I second Jeff's thank yous to, to Toby and to Prophecy um, for allowing us to do this. This is a very special episode for us, and um, we feel privileged. We absolutely do. And while we're handing out thank yous like uh, Academy Award winners, because we haven't done anything, um, <laughs> we, we do want to thank uh, Matt Altieri, Rob Nine, Ben Hillman, and Brian Zavin for the recent monetary contributions to our cause. If you want to join them and show your support, we welcome donations of any size. Simply go to paypal.me forward slash RR podcast. Please give us a review on iTunes. Please visit us on Facebook. And you can also find us at RadicalResearch.org. Next episode, Radical Research 39, will be our exploration of the In the Woods family tree. In the Woods itself is a band near and dear to both Hunter and I. 
I'm sure something on them will be on some future episode, but they also have a fascinating family tree. And that's what we're going to look at. We're not going to listen to any in the woods, but in the woods, Spectre and Foundation will be a huge glue to everything else in this episode. Uh, There's a number of terrific outgrowths in their family tree that are remarkable in their own right. We'll be exploring work by Drawn, Nerver, Still Uproar, Green Carnation, and others in episode 39. I can't wait to do that one. This next episode gets right to the heart of what started this entire enterprise to begin with. Looking at adventurous Norwegian metal music. But as Jeff said, you know, we're going to be talking about bands like Nerver, Transit, Drawn. We're going to be going outside of the boundaries of metal, even into uh, rock, electroacoustic music, folk, and well beyond. At, at any rate, this next episode is going to be really sort of the um, the abiding spirit of radical research. And we love Norway. Don't know if we've made that clear enough. Um, <laughs> if it's, it's time to remind yes. people, it's been a few episodes. Yes. If the the Tourism Bureau of Norway. Um, would like to throw any contributions our way, we would be grateful and would be happy to collaborate with you. But anyway, uh, we hope that you join us on our 39th journey into the depths of the In the Woods family tree. Oh, the most beautiful